Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on February the 4th of 2019. It's Nick and Chris here to talk to some manga again. All right, man, how's it going? It's going well. That's right. I'm Nick. Uh, yes, and I'm Chris, and I'm the one who does all of the important stuff, but everyone thinks is the less intelligent of us. So, uh, Yes, and I'm Nick. I'm the one who has all the smart opinions and is really the only glue that keeps things together. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing to know that we're both so selfish and uh, only think of ourselves then. Yeah. All right. Also, my mustache is stupid. Boom. (laughs) Last second. (laughs) This sincere sincere loving time has been interrupted and brought back to the normal thing that you come to Weekly Monk Recap for. Don't like each other. Hate each other. It's rough. Demand pizza from each other. (laughs) I do one day. Uh, It's rough because I get complimented for for what I do on Dice Funk a lot. And I, I... I'm physically unable to take compliments uh, right. uh, professionally or uh, graciously. I have to immediately be like, no, I'm not good. Everyone else is the good one. So it's like me constantly. I'm like a thousand palm like monk statue. I have to deflect all of the compliments away before they get to me. <laughs> With like the sen- the, the senju. <laughs> yeah, the senju thing. They start slapping them away. No, <laughs> it's all Austin. He's a good DM and slapping it. I thought for a second that you were like... <laughs> That you were like uh, referencing like the monkeys instead of the monks for some reason. So it was like, see no compliments, hear no compliments, speak no compliments. And then when you said monkeys, I thought you meant the band, the monkeys. So it's just, Why? I don't know. No, I was like, I don't feel like a Peter Waller. Oh, yeah, the but monkeys, maybe. That band that was completely unable to take any phrase because they were guilty over them. Hey, my mom loved the shit out of the monkeys when I was a kid, which maybe explains why i don't like the beatles so much because that was never a thing in my household that makes sense you know all right man we've got uh, a lot of action-packed chapters to cover in this week so yes. i think that we're gonna have to get into it and call the action like uh like proper uh commentators would. okay uh i want to be nigel mcginnis okay go right ahead uh go ahead and talk about joint manipulation and stuff yeah. okay uh Oi, it's me, Nigel McInnes. <laughs> we on, I think he does NXT, but he's probably somewhere else now. Uh, he does still do NXT. There we go. Calls it uh, with uh, Moro Ronaldo and Percy Watson. <laughs> just for him for still being around. <laughs> he just like wasn't with them. And then all of a sudden he just showed back up. And was like, I'm calling NXT now. I was like, all right, good for you. <laughs> Bravo, man. It's always great to see like those minor guys who eventually go on to hold like long stated like Christopher Nowinski is now like one of the most foremost like knowledgeable people on like sports concussions. You're like, good people for you. are alive. Yeah, people are alive now still because of him, uh, because he told them that it's like, no, your brain is turning to mush the more you do this without things changing. So good job. Anyway, let's talk about uh Another case where a person um, hurts themselves a lot in order to do what they love with Deku in My Hero Academia. That's what he do. Well, not so much anymore. But uh, he last chapter had uh, decided to use his new quirk, Black Tendril, to try and fight Shinso in this team battle. And we uh, pick up where that left off where he would snag some debris that uh, Shinso had pulled down with this capture scarf in uh, 
Final face-off, Midoriya versus Shinzo is chapter number 215 of the series. And uh, basically, immediately, uh, Deku's new quirk fades away. Uh, and we learn via basically like that video game narration where, you know, like when you're playing a game, you try and do a thing and you're like, I can't do that yet. Like they just like <laughs> that's basically what he does. I don't think I should go down that pathway yet. If I go down this pathway, I won't be able to get back up. So I should make sure that I'm finished with my business here before doing this <laughs> NPC. I still need to talk to to progress the story. <laughs> I can't leave yet until I've rescued all the hostages. <laughs> Why am I trying to do this? It's not, I guess it's because there's way more interesting stuff outside of this mission to do, but whatever. It's such interesting mountains out there, so mm -hmm. kind of climb all of them. So he thinks to himself that he's not going to be able to use his new quirks until he actually fully masters one for all. Uh, so because not just because they are, these are new quirks, but because these are powered up quirks. Uh, so he's not going to be able to control the power output until he fully masters it with uh, one for all. So that's why he's uh, not really able to use it. So the black tendril appears just long enough for him to like grab the barrels out of the air and then they immediately fade away and that's it. Uh, so Shinzo decides, well, fuck this, this, this is all screwed up now. And he decides that he needs to retreat and uh, regather himself. And he really feels pretty frustrated with himself because uh, the entire plan that he attached with Monomo was to get him into a position where he could, they could basically take out Deku who they thought was the most dangerous out of everyone in this group. And he's kind of screwed that up. Now he has not taken advantage of the situation that Monomo created. Mm. Speaking of Uraraka has fully dealt with the guy. Um, she, he's still trying to fight back, but uh, she's got him tied up and is dragging him behind her with her zero gravity quirk while he occasionally uses one of the borrowed quirks to, you know, chuck debris at her. And she's just like, no, martial arts deflected out of the way and she's perfectly fine. Uh, and he also is trying to provoke her into responding to him so that he can use Shinso's quirk to brainwash her. And she just makes sure to, you know, keep a grip on herself and not respond verbally no matter what he says. Uh and she actually has a little bit of a conversation with him, a one side one, while she, where she just kind of responds vaguely with some gestures and such. Um, and Monoma's trying to trick her and uh, and deceive her at various points, for example, by suggesting that maybe he's bluffing about how uh, what limits his quirk has and maybe he's gotten stronger and he can extend the time limit or he can borrow more quirks at once and so on. Uh, but she's just, you know, shoving him into the cell while he's talking. <laughs> so as uh, she's getting ready to shove him in, finally, he just says, uh, you know, I can actually do some really interesting stuff with my quirk. And uh, it may maybe I'm not. And not, in fact, just because the, the effects of the quirk uh, of the borrowing fade away doesn't mean that all the effects of the quirk are gone. There's something that's good that basically I've. Uh, that I've set up and he says, be careful of the supporting roles, dying breath. And he basically very heavily implies that he's done something that will hurt Deku. And so Uraka rushes off wondering what the hell he's got planned. And we catch up with Shinso and Deku just as the plan that Monoma had launched uh, goes into effect, which was during that exchange where he rushed, ran up to Deku and socked him across the jaw and uh, borrowed his quirk. He also applied one of the other quirks that he had applied, the twin impact. So now as Deku is chasing after uh, Shinso, he basically gets sucker punched across the face as the twin impact activates. And this gives Shinso an opening to potentially use. 
And uh, so good stuff there. We catch up with the other group uh, in the three on two battle as Mineta finally gets clobbered uh, and he's basically out of the fight now, which leaves Ashido to take on all three of the others together. Uh, and so some of the people on the sidelines in class one B are like, I don't, Oh my God, we're going to win this sec- this one actually, because you know, Shinso is pulling away from Deku and uh, now this team fight is going our way. Uh, but basically a whole bunch of stuff happens at once. <laughs> Um, Shinso tries to launch his capture scarf at Deku. Deku launches through the air and grabs it, uh, and just pulls Shinso in and takes him down. And Uraraka shows up at the team fight. She chops one student across the back of the uh, back of the neck. She gets another one stuck on some of the stickies that Mineta has left behind. And Ashido takes out the last one with an uppercut. And, uh, all of a sudden, uh, all of the members of class one B seem to be down and accounted for as Uraka had decided that instead of just going after Deku to help him, that she would uh, go and help the rest of her team instead, where they would probably need her more, her help more. So there we go. But it seems like the fight's over. Yeah, it would definitely seem so. And Uraka got her moment to look cool. Uh, I do think it's very amusing that uh, the hat girl, when she shows up, she's like, Reiko. And then it just looks like Uraka goes up and just slightly pushes her into the, the yeah. capture orbs, like the stick yeah. orbs. It's like, eh. it's not like a big action panel with like, boosh, and like punch pushes her into the wall and then she gets stuck. It's almost like she was right next to it. And she's like, Bang. Just I like hope that nobody comes up next to me and pushes my arm the six inches into these sticky balls. Oh, no, someone did. Oh, <laughs> uh, who could have seen this coming? But, uh, uh yeah, I, I think Uraraka was like the MVP of this battle. She uh, helped out Deku when he had his freak out. She assisted him in going after Shinzo. She captured Monoma almost completely on her own. And then she ended up helping the rest of her team to disable everyone else. So good for her. She yeah. looked awesome in this. Yeah, I think she looked very good. And, um, I'm I'm glad this fight is over and this arc was totally over. The entire team battles are over, Chris. It's been like three months <laughs> and we're done. Uh, I, I still think this is well done, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting back to hopefully some more story. Mm. I feel like this this whole thing, like certain fights in it could have probably can, been condensed a little bit more if we had um, more fights go the way of like the Bakugo fights where it was just like, and it's over. <laughs> yeah, two chapters. <laughs> Um, but, uh, some of the stuff we got out of it was very good. Some character development moments were better done than others. Um, and, uh, also some of the members of class one B that were built up through this, I care about more than others. So, but at least the, I, th- I feel like it, uh, it started off strong and ended strong at least. So, uh-huh. all right. Uh, so that's it for my hero. Let's go to talk about the second best cooking uh, chapter this week. Basically, yeah. So Food Wars 297, the missing half of the moon. Uh, So remember how Takumi was in trouble and Megami came to help to get Soma? Okay. So. The rules for for Takumi's match this time are that they can have people help them. They can, have, and he's going up against the the bark tender guy. How, Don Kama. 
How very appropriate uh, for this one to be one that allows assistance when it's the two people who apparently specialize in using tag team cooking. <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's very, very convenient that that's the one contest thus far that has seemed to be like, yeah, use friends for this. Right. Friends who aren't even involved in the blue. <laughs> Pretty much. So... Don Kama is like, I work for Osahi Saiba, and I want you to put that, our knives on the line. And Takumi's like, why? Why should I do that? Because now I want it! And that's it. And he's <laughs> like, I'll take your great talent of Italian cooking, I think is your thing, but like, you, I need your goober brother to do it sometimes. I don't know. Well, how great would that be if, like, Asahi gets the Mezumuna and then he tries to use it and he's like, ah, shit, I need, like, a dumpy younger brother who only ever shows up to assist me in order to come make full use of this. Just throws it away. <laughs> Useless on its own. Uh, like, I mean, me this whole betting knives thing, like, when Mimasaka did this, he, like, provoked people in order to put them on the line. These guys are just like, put your best tool on the line against me! Why? Because I want it! It's like, okay. I guess that's the rules to this. I, I thought the Blue was an organization, like, it was managed by the WGO, and they would have kind of, like, referees and officials that would declare whether or not certain rules would come into effect or not. Hey, whatever. I guess it's fucking Noir just runs the whole thing now. Like, the, the when the last time that Takumi put his Mezuzu on the line and lost it was because Miyamasaka was just like, your brother is a piece of shit garbage and you're awful and your entire method of cooking is awful. And I'm going and so he was like, oh, fuck you, then fine, let's do this. And it's going to I want your knife. Come on. So Don Kama is being assisted by a bunch of transvestites. And, uh, of course, they, you know, all are coming in. They're like, oh, we're going to help. And and some of the people are like, oh, what's with all the transvestites? And Don Kama's like, oh, I'm sorry that if you're perturbed by this, Takumi. Don't worry about it. They're all a bunch of sweethearts. And Takumi's like, actually, we have a few as regulars at my family's restaurant. So, okay, it's fine. I mean, I've never seen so many of them. It's a little weird, but... I just assumed when they said we could bring assistant, it didn't mean 13 fucking people, but whatever. <laughs> I just... If I had known, I would have called my entire fucking class and had us put together, like, a fucking buffet or some shit. Yeah, I, for my assistant, I call the entire Totsuki Academy. Fuck you. <laughs> I call Joichiro uh, fucking whatever his name is. I call Asahi Saiba. <laughs> Make a dish, bitch. <laughs> so they they're going to all these transvestites are going to help out Don Kama and Takumi's like I only need the one assistant and we get this flashback which when this started going I was like oh he is so going to lose now <laughs> they're doing this whole thing he basically they're just like oh Takumi and Isami are so good together and Isami has improved so much as a chef the Aldini brothers are an unstoppable tag team they're invincible and there's this whole thing with like you know Arina commenting to some random secret security guy that's like ah Takumi is successfully depending his seat on the council this skill of course is quite obvious but the one to watch is his brother, is his brother Isami of the two closest to making it on the council effectively the institute's number 11 and 12 chefs one is Isako and the other is widely considered to be Isami he has improved his skill as an individual chef that much eat my entire dick <laughs> leave that for a fucking oh. second this dude has never been important 
You remember where? Remember Chris when we were back when we read I Show Twenty One, and it was like, all right, that Christmas bow was kind of disappointing, but it's time for the world stage. This is surely going to be good. Oh, look, he's going to have his final shoot and his rematch with Panther. And we're going to see how they measure up against each other. This World Cup is going to be so good. And then we were just disappointed perpetually the entire way through. I'm really starting to get vibes from that for this entire arc of Food Wars. They're like, but Nick, the German guy can also run a 4.2, and Asami is the 12th best chef in Totsuki Institute. He's essentially unofficially a member of the council. (laughs) I, I, I was somewhat bemused by this because I started to sit here and I was like, you know, I thought it was supposed to be kind of a big deal that uh, Takumi, Megami, and Soma were the only members of the council to show up at this contest, as far as we know. I mean, who the fuck knows? I guess anyone could just show up. It's fucking WWE hardcore rules, I guess. Anyone could just come into a match and get involved. Obviously, Takumi texted his brother at the GPS coordinates so that he could just drive up and join him. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this, it, the premise this is very stupid. Uh, but it, it was very specific. Those are the three characters. Because they kind of built that these three characters are, I guess, our main trio, so to speak. Right, right, right. Uh, so it's interesting that Takumi has this sort of moment here, and it's still about him and his brother, which has been his kind of his storyline throughout the entire series. Has just been like, oh, I lost my knife to my brother, and then he, you know, has that match against Azon, and he's like, you know, it's revenge for that because you, you fuck, you were the one who hired me, Misaka, right, 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 everything. So you feel as though because they they've spent time trying to characterize takumi as an individual without just being like and he has a brother so i you'd think this would be like the spot for an individual takumi chapter which i guess we're technically gonna get because the other fucking brother is a goober who got like captured anyway but it is weird that it's like we're still going to this well of like takumi and his brother when it's like i don't know of anybody who even likes takumi's brother like, it's just such a weird thing to still keep going back to. Like, there's so a chance for him to have an independent contest of that. Right, right. We're not doing it. Nope, nope. So Takumi uh, gets worried because his brother doesn't immediately respond, which is very out of habit for him. And he's like, what's going on? And he looks over at Don Kama, who's like, <laughs> and he's like, Don, what happened? Uh, and sure enough, we cut away and some more of the transvestites, uh, cap kidnapped Isami and have him tied up somewhere. I don't know where. And Don was like, all right, everyone, let's do a weird coordinated dance thing where we shake stuff up in martini shakers. And this is all crazy cooking style. (laughs) So they do that. And uh, he's like, oh, your partner hasn't showed up. I guess I'm going to win by default. Oh, well, I guess that, the, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to get your mezzanuna and I'll say, I, oh, oh, let's lose. And then Soma shows up and he's going to help out Takumi. And Takumi's like, oh, fine. And meanwhile, Isami is talking to his kidnappers and is like, there's no one who can bring out the best of my brother like I can. But the second best is already there right on site. I don't really know how I even want this match to end because on one hand I'm like I this is always like this is another concert reminder that Takumi is not nearly as interested in a character as like the writer wants to think he is 
But I don't want to see any more of the fucking bartender chef because his premise is so stupid. <laughs> like he's like a dude who goes into he's like every match I'm in needs to be a team match. <laughs> I can, I'm completely helpless without twenty people to assist me. I need twenty people shaking bartender things. <laughs> what if you have to prepare something that you know requires you to like I don't know fucking chop up an entire side of beef and then I put it in my cocktail shaker. It's like when I dip it in some brandy and then I put it in my cocktail shaker. You're just like stuffing an entire cow and it's like I do a couple of flips of the old bottle and bada boom bada bing here's a filet mignon. Anyway while I'm doing this tell me about your deep personal problem so that I can give you the drink that will solve it. Uh, if you were that, it would be a much better story. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to Eden Zero, why don't we? All right, let's move on. Eden Zero, Chapter 29, Iron Hill, with uh, Moskov, right on the front, Nick, or Moskoy. I forget which his actual it's name all, is and what he just says over and over again. It's all it's all the androids together. Yeah, all the little robots. Uh, so we start the chapter, like most fairy tale chapters arcs start, uh, with a bunch of women bathing. <laughs> Uh, it's worth noting that this is the pool where, uh, Rebecca got her ether gear powers start to manifest from. Right. Uh, Hamora is just like, ah, oh, this is really hard to like sit in here all the time because it's so hot. How do you manage it? And then she kind of notices that Rebecca has ether gear and she's like, well, what does yours do? She's like, I don't have anything. You get to choose. She's like, yeah. Like if you haven't learned it, you get to pick what your ether gear is, which is kind of like a small little, but rather significant detail. And Rebecca says, It's like starting up a video game character, Chris. You get to choose the path that you set out on. Mm -hmm. Do you wish to take the shield, but forsake the wand? As everyone should have in Kingdom Hearts. Let's be honest. Magic <laughs> is terrible. Um, but no, she's like, hey, I'd like something that made my guns aim better. Because... Uh, I just would never want to miss anything. And she's like, what do you mean guns? And she shows her guns. And Hamora is so nervous. She stands up and is like, I would like to challenge you to a duel. Rebecca's like, we can't do that. We're both naked. We're naked. And we'd look ridiculous, which is exactly how these kind of conversations would naturally go. Uh, then we cut over. Sister and Witch are having their conversation about like, oh, yeah, what have we been doing? You know. Mentioning that Elsie has actually been the real one, or yeah, Elsie uh, was the one really defending the Eden Zero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just talk about these things like, oh, I can't wait to see Valkyrie and Herbert again. Oh, hey, uh, th this little robot—that's like the next generation, right? And he looked at Pino and they're like, yeah, this little droid is one who will someday be the light of Eden's. Whatever. <laughs> And then uh, Moscow is like this, this entire com this whole thing actually lured me into a false sense of hope because like, oh, wow, female characters are conversing. And sure, the first one was about them you know, having their tits out and stuff. But they're talking about like, oh, yeah, these are, this is the power you could have in the future. And they're talking. Then these two are talking about their shared personal history and their hope for the future and stuff. And then the next uh, thing happens. Then, then the entire rest of the chapter. Yeah, basically, yeah. That. Uh, so yeah, Moskowitz like, can I do anything? What am I of Eden's? And uh, sister's like, you're the pig of Eden's. So I'm like, and he's like, oh, thank you. I'm like, okay. I'm like, does the robot not know he's being insulted at all? Uh, Cheeky gives Rebecca back her B cube. She puts it on. Uh, they talk a little bit about 
uh, like the actual Professor Wise. Uh, but then eventually she's just like, oh, wait, where's Hamora? And Wise is like, oh, yeah, I had a certain condition for letting her join us on the Eden Zero. Uh, and we, for some reason, cut to a conversation that is not what he's talking about. <laughs> like, we, we hard cut to her having a massage, I guess. I don't know if this is what Rebecca was thinking, but she's there in her own, like, weird fantasy so i don't know what this is supposed to be but apparently this is a flashback then i don't know why it cuts to rebecca here because weiss is like oh head sitting conditions for letting her go and someone's like well, what what condition you should have i mean you should have brought that up after she goes through all of this yeah anyway like, should, like he should he should have brought it up you know afterwards uh, after you know rebecca says like she's gonna be out of commission for a little while um yeah, and and then he explains himself. He, yeah. That's how the conversation should have unfolded. But anyway, it's whatever. a weird way. Anyway, it's just a like massage, torture, and plain pain thing. Uh, and they're like, ah, oh, she's really hurt. Uh, but then twice mentions he's like, you know, the eating series, all the rooms that make clothes for us, right? What more condition is that she has to wear the clothes that I picked it for? And he's got a really sleazy face while he does it. <laughs> And uh, he's like, oh, thinks she'd look great in a bunny geek costume. And Cheeky's like, I want to wear a bunny girl costume. And uh, that's basically it. That we. <laughs> and then the next show, the next page begins with <laughs> Rebecca are... getting a notification, we which are... is on her is on her B cube, which is on her collar, which is just above her cleavage. So you go from them talking about that to all of a sudden just Rebecca's boobs. We hard right cut there. over to Rebecca's cleavage. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a shot framed so fantastically that I feel as though if if there's ever someone who's just like I don't know if heroes really always going for as much sexual content as you think, I'm like. There is no reason to frame that shot any other way than that, unless that is what you want us to fucking stare at. Because it is gratuitously detailed. Uh, anyway, they pick up. It's Clarice from uh, whatever the guild. guild they're part of. Shooting Star Guild or some bullshit like that. Who cares? She basically just tells us, like, hey, don't come back to Blue Gardens for a while. Oh, actually, she first mentions, hey, you know how the Guildmaster was also kidnapped when you were, like, sent to go meet the Guildmaster? And we never saw them. Uh, well, it turns out the reason we didn't see the Guildmaster anywhere on Guilds is because they escaped off panel and just weren't involved. So I guess that's a, the plot line. That's why you didn't see them this entire time. It wasn't a plot hole or anything. It was just I changed my mind. Yeah. The, but uh, then she says, don't come back to Blue Garden because you're such a crazy huge celebrity. Uh, because all the beekeepers are talking about you that it's it's just a little bit of a Rebecca craze right now. Happy like looks. He's like, wow, the numbers are great, uh, but they're all giving us bad ratings. Uh, so basically, she's like, yeah, you know, thanks for this opportunity. I have to make a really good video. So Shiki's like, how about one of me dancing in a bunny girl suit? She's like, I love it. Why is this like, I figure that's why you uh, I think I figured out why you get such low ratings. And I'm like, he's right, because that's a very low level concept idea. When you have this high boon, you need to start capitalizing it. So you need to become like, I don't know, like a documentary worker who like travels and discovers all the seedy things across the world. I mean, you've got, if you've got a uh, thing on your ship that can just make any costume, you could do a lot of crazy stuff with that, honestly. Yeah. 
So they fly past a thing called Iron Hill, and it's apparently a memorial to the 12 people who guarded the cosmos uh, during, quote-unquote, the Dark Ages. And we see it's basically like a giant kind of like, um, what do you call them? Like the like the pointed kind of uh, geometry shapes. But they have like a stars. Specific... They have like I think there's a more specialized name than that. But anyway, it's one of those twelve points, and there's a big statue at the end of each point. Uh, and these are apparently quote unquote the heavenly knights of dancing Sakura, the gardens of blue, the guardians of blue garden. And she's like, wow, that's super cool. But then sister's like, Shiki's like, wow, that's a long title. He's like, what? Any five names? I don't think so. Uh, but then the sister's like, hey, wait, I can't believe it. I just had a few lead, but I never guessed my first guess would pay off. And we zoom in and we see that one of the statues has a little person sitting at the very top of the statue. And uh, sister says, are you reading my mind, hermit? So a, they found the next one. A dodecagram. Dodecagram. Yes. Star I polygon, a star polygon with twelve vertices. Okay. So that's the chapter. So they're catching up with the old members of this of this crew very quickly, aren't they? Yeah, I guess we don't really have time for that. We're just like, hey, let's just jump into this. Grab each one. Come on, keep going, keep going. People are gonna get bored. I mean, who knows what'll happen? Maybe Hermit meets them, but Hermit doesn't want to hang out with them, and we get something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, this doesn't seem super conducive to a location for an entire arc yeah considering that they're just you know it's just a giant rock it doesn't seem to have an atmosphere it does make you kind of wonder like how the fuck did they make that (laughs) uh but at the same time this might not even be an arc maybe they just pick fucking hermit up or something like that yeah i do hope it's not like a whole thing because yeah it does seem like just a stop along the way kind of location all right, let's uh, get into our new series then. Uh, let's talk a bit about uh, Hell, War, and Higuma, Chapter 6. Uh, it's the one where where I have to learn a character's name, Chris. It, it turns out that uh, I probably don't have a choice anymore. <laughs> chapter 6, The Worth of a Life. Uh, we get a flashback uh, to basically expound on the little glimpse that we got of the past in the last chapter with the, uh, you know, Grant with Kabata spending time with his grandfather. Um, and, uh, he basically just explained as the fight from the previous chapter is finishing up and Higuma is dispatching the demon that, uh, when his grandfather died, it was because a fusion spirit stole his life force and, uh, he witnessed it. And the day after the funeral, the priest and his son, Higuma uh, came and asked me questions and figured it out. And when he and that he went, he banished the spirit. And so Ayaha says, oh, so you're saying he wasn't able to save your grandfather. And he's like, no. See, when hell warns reclaim life force, they can return it to victims who are still alive. But there is no way to return it to someone who's already dead. When a human dies, they can't come back. Fugitive spirits violate the natural order. Um. That's what Higuma told him in the past, and he says, and that's what Enma says anyway. He's like, well, who the hell is Enma? Hmm. So, you know, Kabata explains a little bit about, uh, you know, his the last time that basically they saw his uh, grandfather. So, you know, he says that the first snow came the day before he died, and we promised each other that if the snow got deep enough, we'd build a huge fort together. 
what I'm trying to say is the worth of a life is hard to put into words, at least without thinking about it for a while. But if those people had died here today, there would be that many more unfulfilled promises left behind. My grandfather, my grandpa is gone, but Hiduma understands this. And I guess I figured, why not help him out in my spare time? And that's why I got my sigil and help him out. So I do like that. You know, it's like your own life isn't just yours to live. Basically, it also has meaning to to the people around you. So, so Higuma has finished his duty, and he remembers, of course, the conversation with the fugitive spirit. It was like, oh, you don't realize what you're doing, and he's like, No, I do. I do understand the consequences of what I'm doing. And uh, I like this, too, because it's like he understands the value of a life and also the fact that he has to take it in order to uh, prevent them from doing so. It seems like it's something that's going to be core to his character and why he's doing this. So I have basically kind of officially becomes uh, a Bunresha now. Uh, she's going to help out uh, how she can. And uh, then... Uh, Kabata like uh, is like, all right, anyway, I'll uh, see you later. And uh, he takes off the Bunrace robe and he's just a kid wearing a school, a school uniform. And he's like, all right, I'll see you in class tomorrow, Higuma. Catch you later. <laughs> peace. <laughs> you guys are in class together? Yeah, I've been stuck with him this entire time. But uh, from there, we cut very suddenly to uh, Higuma sparring with uh Guy who basically looks like he is also a demonic spirit named Abo, apparently. And uh, he's getting his ass kicked by this guy. Uh, says that, you know, you're fragile, you're weak. And uh, also says, like, you know, you were a good for nothing brat. You're who uh, you have no idea what to do. Uh, and he says, if you disagree with my methods, feel free to skip our sessions like you always used to remain weak and die. Um, and Higuma is basically, you know, kind of just like complaining in a very, you know, kind of bratty sort of way. So he's keeping up at dis despite this. But this does seem to imply that there was something that happened in Higuma's past that made him take things more seriously. Um, and at that moment, a couple of hands appear and grab Higuma by the ankles and drag him off. And uh, he is brought before the great King Enma, this childish looking kind of pseudo demonic figure with uh, their ankles chained and says, let's talk about work. And uh, that's where the chapter ends. All right. Yeah. Not a whole lot to really talk about. I do like the uh, little bits that we get, but I'm kind of waiting for something big to happen. Yeah. Some sort of like big character reveal. So, yeah, I'm still, I think there's a moment coming up hopefully that's going to like kind of kick this i guess we had kind of the first miniature arc but i'm hoping the next one kind of really gives it like a, a firm kind of hook going forward it definitely still feels like something's being held back and uh i'm waiting for that to, the other shoe to drop yeah all right let's talk about neolation then nick process seven speaking of shoes dropping like holy shit so what the fuck happened in like the last two chapters with this series just like by the way <laughs> so last time uh neo and the group they they got onsai they caught him uh they revealed their whole plan they kind of showed that makoto was uh Rotoko was uh, controlling him the whole time and he had a mental breakdown on top of the roof so it was like 
All right. Oh, I guess the police got him. Nope. Nope. He he fucking booked it, apparently. Uh, They know, like, okay, so everything's good. We reunited uh, Saki with her family, and it's pretty good. But uh, Anzai, who is under suspicion, is apparently still at large. Yeah. Interested about that. Uh, There's a whole news report talking about how, you know, all this happened, how a machine could control how we think, because everything about Makoto became public matter at that point mm-hmm. uh, and they they talk about how you know ai is simply a tool you know, nothing more nothing less but how different machines could help people and they specifically showed the quote-unquote think i can't remember the name of the actual product that this is based off of mm-hmm. uh but there was actually a product that was like a triangle that you would put on your forehead that was supposed to like reduce your stress and shit like that and then they find it they found it was like giving people migraines and some shit like that so uh i did find it amusing that that was referenced here see uh, it's a good thing oh <laughs> but maybe later versions will be good <laughs> uh i mean i do like that they uh, kind of bring up this whole point though of like why the fuck was the university just letting anzai make an ai it was like well because there are possible benefits to doing it oh okay fair enough <laughs> yeah, we're, we're at a time where you could basically be a mad scientist when it comes to ai and people will be like i don't know maybe it's the next fucking alexa maybe dr wiley is onto something here <laughs> <laughs> different flavor themed robots fireman <laughs> cut man all of these sound very dangerous. explosion man i'm not sure how he's gonna help acid man but yeah let's make them shouldn't there be like a help man or yeah, something like or... a doctor man or like teach man and he's like <laughs> no but i have bone saw man <laughs> <laughs> well, i don't know if that's gonna help uh, so yeah, they, Neo and and uh, Dago have a conversation. Daigo, uh have a whole conversation about like, yeah, Anzai's still out there, and Neo's like, yeah, don't worry about it. He's a wanted criminal. He's afraid of getting caught, so we'll lay low. And then you know he doesn't have anything to his benefit. He doesn't have his job. He can't go anywhere. His his AI's gone, so he's he's pretty much screwed. But he does bring up because Daigo's like, I thought you said that you, you know, Motoko was able to predict every one of his moves. And uh, Neo says, well, she could, uh, which means that most likely someone else is involved and she couldn't predict that. Yes. So So we cut over to the school then and we see that uh, Yuko's doing her dance team practice and Saki's watching along, clapping along. And uh, Neo comes up. He's like, you know, it's really strange, you know, just watching all the time. And he uh, he brings up a quote. He says, the dancers are fools and the watchers are fools. Both are fools. So why not dance? Uh, he says, that's a saying. Ever heard of it? She's like, that's a saying. <laughs> and he's eating a hot dog. And he's like, well, you know, the way I'm standing, everyone's an idiot no matter what they're doing. So and she's like, your hoodie's stupid. Fuck off. <laughs> like, it, it, it seriously occurred to me while I was reading this chapter, like he normally looks like, OK, just like an eccentric weirdo when he's wearing it. And he's oh, whatever. He's a super hacker. He can wear what he wants. But then when he's like out and about eating hot dogs and having conversations on a bench. He looks like a real idiot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very confusing, like the enormous hood. But he's still wearing what looks like a school uniform, basically. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, she's like, hey, you know, thanks for saving me. I don't know what came over me. And I almost made a lot of people sad. And he asks, like, hey, so why was it you ran away from home? Everyone else who was killed by the lemming system died in their own home. And she's like, well, I got the message that said, you know, like, if you don't do this, there's no telling what's going to happen to your friends or family. 
So I got scared and ran away. And I thought if I was alone, then it'd be protecting the people that I care about. So running away was the part of the Lemmings uh, instructions. And Neo just had laughs. He's like, man, that guy could control people if his life depended on it. Ha 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 ha. Foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, and he basically says like, yeah, it's actually really good. You ran away because that's how we started tracking you down and finding out something was wrong. So, you know, you really kind of helped things out there. It was, it was all thanks to you. You were the first person to actually put a wrench in his plans. Yeah. Uh, if he, not for if not for your unique qualities, then we would not have been able to do this. Yeah. So, and then he, he kind of gives her some encouragement. He's like saying, you know, like, hey, you know, uh, I'm just saying that, you know, if you ever want to die, buy me a hot dog and come over to my place. And he's like, you, you mean you'd save me again? He's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think of humans as a resource, but I won't squander them like the lemming. And this is where we have to get the reminder that Neo's not super like a cool person. All like he has like a weird, angry or like villainous way of <laughs> discussing things. Right, right. He's like humans are resources, but I appreciate these resources. And your parents were really happy to have you back. So like if I kidnapped you, then I'd get money for it. And that's how it's like. It moves her to tears over how moving this speech is because she's reminded about how many people care about her. But it is funny that he's yeah. just like, if I kidnapped you, they'd do whatever I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have the option to be awful. <laughs> yeah, so so we close off that arc with a little moment is like Yuko chastises him for being a bad guy and all that. And then we cut over to Anzai. Yeah, he, he, he did escape, Nick. And he's like, man, you saved me. I gotta say, you're a lot younger than I thought you'd be. Gavaldin. Gavaldin. <laughs> and we see a guy wearing what could best be described as that giant blue fuzzy hat I used to have in the picture. <laughs> on uh, and uh, like high heel platform sh- or high heel shoes. And uh, I don't know. He looks like he's dressed for a Cure concert or something. It's It's a very unique look. Uh, and the guy's clacking his feet over and over again. And uh, Anze's like, why did you do that? You know, why, why, why are you going through all this? And he's like, oh, because I, I consider you the same kind of beast that I am. And beast is emphasized here. He's like, yeah, only people who are bound by the rules set by people. It's beasts who stray from such principles. And in order for a beast to survive, must constantly feed on people. The strong, the clever, and the beautiful creatures that I love. And I saw a beast inside of you. Uh, he's like... <laughs> it became impossible to ignore at the end of the chapter, okay? <laughs> I can, we'll get to that. I can see it. He's just like... You know, I had I, I, everything was working great, but then that stupid girl, you know, she did something unexpected. If it weren't for that, and he's like, ah, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna be on the run? How am I gonna be able to keep this up? I'm so screwed. And uh, Galvadon, Gavadon, Gavaldon. Gavaldon. <laughs> I want to call him Galvadon, which is only because the beast. <laughs> I only vaguely know of Transformers, which I think he's a character from. Is Galvadon something from that? Galvatron is what Megatron becomes. Uh, well, then I'm just mixing up all sorts of things. Uh, Gevi, as I'm calling him now, <laughs> he says, Lemming, don't worry. I promise I won't let the police catch you. He's like, that's really? very specifically, that's very strangely specific I, wording. <laughs> I promise you the police will never catch you and you will live the rest of your life not worrying about the police catching you. 
These are very specific promises. I'm just saying, I can promise for the remainder of your life. The furthest thing from your mind. So we're introduced to two policemen. Uh, one is a is a woman in like a business suit with uh, like a, a like the reverse rogue where she has like white hair but one black stripe, and then one guy who's like old collector. He's ah! just like, yeah, she. We're gonna have to. Hunt. I'm gonna tilt my fedora on my head. Yeah, hunter, Let's go down there. Take a look there. See. Like it's it's almost like they took two police archetypes and just like made the partners, which I fucking love. And they're like, oh, come down here. And uh, they go down there and they see a sigil of a skull surrounded in a ring, all made of presumably blood. And uh, they're like, uh, yeah, we have to, I guess, check to see if it's Anz eyes. And the uh, female detective it's says, like, just like Brock Lesnar's skull symbol thing. It does. So. Uh, and uh, the female detective says, what's the symbol? It looks like a beast. And then we cut over to a uh, a factory that uh, melts down metals. And uh, we're introduced to a new character, Gideon. And uh, they've just thrown Anzai's body into the fire to uh, dispose of every evidence that he was alive. The, the last remnants of him are his fucking Crocs. His stupid ass <laughs> shoes and his cell phone. <laughs> or no, his car keys. That's the other thing that's in there. Right. Uh, so yeah, he basically says like, yep, uh, once something goes in there, it's going to be melted away to the bone. Everything, everything's gone. So all physical evidence of the body vanishes. And, uh, Gevy's like, good, Lemming, now the police will never find you. <laughs> Remember what I told you before? <laughs> I told you the police will never, ever find you. <laughs> uh, and, uh, he's saying like, are you, you mad to like, is he, they're tossing him into this. He's just like, I don't get it. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, and he's like, wow, it's really impressive that you're still alive if we took out all the blood in your body in order to paint that symbol very carefully in the wall. <laughs> uh, so Gideon says, like, hey, are you I like how he says, are you sure about this? As though it's like, we can still fish the, the burnt dead corpse out of the fire, maybe. It's we not too still, late to take this back. <laughs> we can still salvage this. Uh, but he's saying, weren't you going to make Lemming our fifth member? Gabby's like, nah, uh, what I want is a beast. I thought he could be that, and I considered helping him with his AI, but it turns out he was nothing but a rodent. His fangs were too short to call him a beast. But apparently there was a very- This guy was like a Mason Ryan at best. He was no Brock Lesnar. No, like, I, yeah, he was maybe like- Maybe, maybe Heidenreich. Maybe, yeah. maybe like an Ezekiel Jackson, like a little bit above, but he's not a Lashley even. And the Lashley's not that great. So let's be real. All these That's obscure good. wrestling references here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, basically he's like, yeah, so there was a skilled hacker who got in everything. So I think I might uh, I might play with him instead. And Gideon's like, aren't you, wait, you're going to make him our member? Isn't he a bit eccentric? And he's like, so? Breaking him in will be all the more fun. <laughs> so we have our uh, our villain group to uh, yeah. look at, and this is suddenly feels like it's becoming a lot more like Majin Tante Nogami Nero. Yeah, I was honestly surprised by the introduction to this because it suddenly feels, yeah, like a, it's a lot more of a shonen series now that we've got this, like, the evil organization um, that are trying to go accomplish question marks. Uh, but... Uh, 
I do like that they've all got these crazy weird designs and that he just got rid of the previous film by throwing him in a fucking furnace. Like, there was a moment where I was like, how did Anzai escape? Like, even if Neo's like, I'm too much of a fucking, like, wuss to actually, like, tackle this guy, I was like, Daigo was there. Daigo could have just arrested him. Like, how did he escape? And it's like, oh, who gives a fuck? Because he was immediately tossed into a fire and eliminated. Oh, man. I, d- I definitely enjoy that this series is pushing more into realms of like, I don't want to call it philosophy, but these characters have their their mindset of the world. And that mm-hmm. seems to be an interesting way to push this going forward. These weird worldviews to have them con- conflict with each other. And yeah. it helps, too, because it, it makes Neo's weird tendency to be kind of like shitty in everything he says make more sense as to why he's the protagonist of a shonen series when you're like oh right because we're gonna start getting contrasted to the people who are who are like him but worse kind of. basically yes so really good chapter liked it a lot all right let's move on then all right let's talk about we never learn uh question 97 the silence of absence apathy becomes of the genius's x it's a very weird title oh aptly becomes genius's x sorry uh so Kirisu starts the chapter off coming in saying, I object! <laughs> with, with, with no, no lead up. She has open door. I object! Uh, and she explains that. It's a very serious scene, Chris, which is why she's wearing her skirt, which only partially goes up her butthole. Yeah, it's 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 a very modest attire for this universe. Uh, and she's basically like, I heard about what happened with Yuego. What is the mean of this? The principles, you know, we see basically the scene. And the principal's like, yeah, you've done great work. I mean, the recommendation is pretty much yours. And Yuega's like, yeah, I know. And this is a very stupid thing to do. But I'm sure it's what I want. So the principal's like, all right. Well, in that case, Yuega, your VIP recommendation is withdrawn. And we see that that's how his friend overheard this because he was listening to before. I've got something I'm going to eat. Oh, hey, I think I'll listen at the store. So... Karasu in the present is like, why did you accept this? He's worked so hard. He's done so much for this. And Principal's like, oh, oh you seem to care about him. <laughs> I believe I recall a certain somebody who wasn't very favorable to his assignment as the girl's tutor. And she's like, all right, yeah, he's good. And it's it's like his ability to do all this is, is phenomenal. So he deserves a recommendation for that. And the Principal kind of like starts waxing philosophic in a way they start feeling kind of poetic he's like what a mysterious boy that's high praise coming from the ice queen people call me that fuck you <laughs> he's like you're the fucking principal i don't think you're allowed to use the nicknames the kids call us and he's like yeah i i mean i can't refuse him and it's probably the first time he sincerely asked for something for himself so we cut over to the girls who are doing their study session without uega and everybody's kind of reacted to the fact that they know this dude, except Ogata, who already kind of knew it because Yuega asked her, like, hey, can I do some part-time work at your restaurant? So everyone's like, ah, what's going on? I don't understand. And we get the explanation that, yeah, Yuega's doing this because he wants to pursue education. And the schools that really are good for it don't accept the VIP recommendation. So he's going to just go for a regular, you know... A, a university he's just gonna pay for it and do it the the other way so he's gonna put some uh some hard work in and uh everyone's kind of being like oh why don't you go to a regular university or uh, you know a major over there you know uh, take one of the schools that do do the vip recommendation even if they don't have a good program and he's like you know i thought about that 
but I'm not the most talented student, so if I'm going to do this, I've got to really go for it. I want to be on par with all of you. I'm done admiring you from just afar. Very sweet little moment there. We get a little flashback to him as a kid with his dad, and his dad saying, Be a man who understands those who struggle. And uh, he says, uh, Just once, I want to be... Uh, sorry. Where is it? I just want to do what someone once did for me. I want to be the kind of teacher who can stand alongside his students. So very little sweet moment there. The girls are just like, huh, you make us late. They're like, well, I don't know. He doesn't have to be our tutor anymore. <laughs> so he might never show up again. Uh, and they're like, yeah, but, you know, it's good news. Let's 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 support him. So let's get back to work, everybody. But there's a moment where Ogata has a very like, um, kid who doesn't understand death moments. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, yeah, he turned on the VIP recommendation so he doesn't have to tutor us anymore. He's like, oh, well, I was going to return this thing to him today. I guess I'll give it to him tomorrow. He's like, no, he's never coming back. Oh, God. <laughs> Sometimes I forget just how, uh, like, in ca- like how much she doesn't understand social interaction at all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a moment for me to just like, ah, how do I solve this equation? How do-? And she just turns, she's like, Nariyuki, is this how I? Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, It's very embarrassed. Yeah, there's a whole moment there, and she's just like, oh, I, I guess I just missed uh, Uega a little bit. How about you? <laughs> and uh, Uruka's just like, no, I'm totally fine. As her, her spirit says as it's leaving her like deeply depressed body. <laughs> There are some amazing reactions in this chapter. Uh, it's then followed by everyone being like, ah, this is too tough. And then Rook is like, isn't that right, you Inga? And he's drawn her in her, him in her notebook and he's like, that's right, Rook! Let's go! Everyone's like, no, you don't go down this deep end. Also, you're a really good artist, apparently. <laughs> And her eyes are so terrified, like the, the pupils have gotten so tiny. And she's, is it that right? <laughs> and then they notice, like, oh, it's his towel. Oh, it smells like it. I love it. And uh, Kumamino's like, yo, you got to be a little subtle about this shit. <laughs> fucking Ogata's right there. But Ogata's so fucking laser focused on studying, she doesn't notice. So Fumino's like, ah, give me that towel. And she drops on the floor. And then she like goes down to pick it up, and then she starts sniffing it from underneath the table as well. I think that we need to like rank how creepy each of these girls are being when they do this. Like, I think that Uruka is so not in her right mind that she's the least creepy, and she doesn't even realize what she's doing. Yeah, o- Ogata like knows what she's doing, but also doesn't realize the implications of it. So I think that that's second. And then there's just Fumino, who's just being a little weird pervert in this one. Just, I'm going to hide it at the table. I sniffed the towel. It smells like you. Oh, I want it. Uh, so yeah, we get a little speech from Ogata. just like, yeah, you know, I'm of course experiencing a sense of discomfort connected with uh, Narayuki's absence, and I suppose that's a kind of sadness. Like it's, it's almost like you expect a speaking spell to spell, like say this, like that kind of voice. Uh, but she's like, "Hey, you know, I know that he did this for his own sake, and it wasn't easy for him, so I'm really glad about it. And I think the saddest thing would be for him to give up on his dreams." And everyone's like, "Aw, you're so petite, yet so grown up." She's like, "Fuck you." <laughs> not small <laughs> they're like we're just gonna have to get over the fact that we're never gonna see you again and hi like, guys i'm here <laughs> he's like i was just a little late getting here today i got all your work and they're like 
but what are you doing? Like you have to put so much work into what you're doing. You can't possibly still do this. And he's like, I mean, of course he, of course I can. And he shows his grades and they're all like 94s and above. And he's like, not to brag, but like teaching you guys has helped me get a greater knowledge on all the stuff that I'm supposed to do. And I've scored really well because of it. So I'm going to keep tutoring you guys if you'll take me because it helps me out too. And everyone's like, yay! And they're thanking him and they're kneeling and shit. Uh, and then, of course, the end of the chapter ends with uh, Ogata being like, oh, I still have this towel back. And then she's sniffing at the end. <laughs> Maybe it smells like, I don't know, like a fucking, like a, like a rugged mountain or some shit like that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's to, what you would guess how it smells like. I'm yeah. trying to think like what it smells like. And they're like, I don't know. This is fucking fascinating. <laughs> so we got the official confirmation then. That Uega is studying to become a teacher. Some explanations mm-hmm. and some stuff. But there's some cool little sweet moments there. I'm, I'm glad yeah. that we had a little speech from Uega and the one from Ogata. They're very, very nice moments. And it's just funny reactions. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like uh, something important has happened, but enough of the status quo is still maintained. Um, so now Uega is doing something for himself. And that's nice that he's not just, you know, like uh, aimlessly heading towards something that he is only vaguely uh, wants because he just needs to get a VIP recommendation. Now I was like, all right, good. You know, you can, you, he set his heart on something. And, uh, finally that, uh, thing that was being hinted at back during the parent teacher conferences has been, uh, has been resolved and good for him. All right, let's move on to Dr. Stone. It is chapter Z equals, I lost my notes. Z equals 92 desire is noble. Greed is good. Uh, so, last time, uh, Senku and Rizui had concluded that they definitely needed to recruit a professional chef. Otherwise, they would never have, you know, they would never be able to make bread that they would be able to stand for their long journey. Uh, so, Rizui immediately seeks out the reporter lady. Uh, and they call up to uh, where she is in the village with Gen and company. And is like, yeah, uh, I know that you've got enough of the of the uh, revival fluid. You've got to have at least to have a single dose. Like, I'm sure that you like hit some away uh, for your own personal use. Um, and uh, so she's not giving anything up. So uh, again, thanks for a bit. And he grabs the phone, the cell phone receiver. He's like, oh, wow, you created something so amazing. Sinko. I can't believe that, that. Oh, wow. That would be a great present for our star reporter. Minami Hokutuzai. We finally get a name for her, which, according to Ryusui, the characters in her name, the kanji spells out North, East, West, South, which spells news. OK. Uh, and so without even knowing what this is, Gen just fucking bluffs her into things. Like, I want something. And she just decides to give up a revival fluid that she's got. Like, I guess she was keeping it hidden in her horn things that she wears on her head it's hard to tell exactly where she pulls the vial out from it almost looks like she had it in her hair anyway so uh they're going to revive someone that Ryusui has handpicked which is his butler Francois uh that he had first referenced back when they first revived him and uh, so he directs them where to find uh, Francois and uh, they go seek uh, seek them out. And uh, Taiju is like, oh, uh, 
that, that's, it's not a guy. It's it's a lady. I, I'm going to just go over here until they're fully clothed. And Usury is like, actually, I don't. I can't tell if it's a guy or a girl. It's like they're naked. That's amazing. <laughs> you can't tell that. <laughs> um, and basically through the entire rest of the chapter, it's yeah. Francois is like they don't know what their gender is. It's like okay, fine. Um, but uh, they immediately, as soon as they revive, grab the clothes the usury has brought and dress with a flourish. And uh, Francois says, right, "Do you know where? Do you know who Ryusui Nanami is? I must search him out at once." It's like, well, don't you have questions for us? You've been asleep for thousands of years. No, I have no. Cons- I don't. I'm not worried about that. I have to get back to work and sets off immediately, <laughs> and just walks for two days straight in order to reach where Senku and company are. The best, yeah. Like the 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 notion of uh fucking Gen showing up, be like. Oh God! <laughs> Two days and it didn't stop. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and Kuhak uh, is like, "Doesn't Francois want an explanation of what's going on?" And Rizu's like, "No, Francois is so efficient at their job that they probably know all the details already." <laughs> and I like the conversation that they have along the uh, that they have while waiting for Francois to, sh- to show up. Because uh, Uki is like, isn't Francois a French name? Are they French? Are they Japanese? And is like, I don't know. Also, I don't know their name. And I don't know if their gender is. <laughs> this person has known you for, for years, presumably. You don't know this. <laughs> They're like, it's your butler. <laughs> How do you not know this? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. What are you, uh, supposed to memorize everybody? Look, I just know that they're good at their job. Who cares? <laughs> um, and Francois is like, show me the bread that you had to eat. And they show, they show them the fucking charred bread. And I love this reaction panel that Francois has because it's their face with like a horrified, you know, frozen expression. And then in the background, there's this weird sketchy pattern of everyone. Like they're the only person who exists in the world and just them and their horror. And uh, as uh, Francois puts it, I must ask if you dare to serve this industrial waste product to those desiring something edible. (laughs) So they give the requirements for the food that they need, Uh, you know, something long lasting for a voyage. And Francois is like, exactly how long must the bread last? And immediately Senku perks up because like, oh, wow, if you're asking for that level of detail and okay. And they and uh, Sweet says that they need something that will last for 10 months, because if it goes beyond that point, then, I mean, we're going to go crazy anyway. Uh, so uh, Francois prepare, gets ready to prepare Goat's Gift Stalin, um, which essentially is like a fruitcake. And uh, so they uh, get they go and, and uh, milk a goat and make butter from their milk. Uh, get some very uh, heavily preserved fruits and uh, get them all together. Uh, Senku and Ryusui try to help, and Francois is like, no, stop! (laughs) Not doing it right. Fuck off. Uh, But Senku does uh, create a uh, proper oven to regulate the temperature, and Francois is like, oh, very good. Yes, yes, Uh, I aim for exemplary service, and this will allow me to do that. It's my duty to fulfill a guest's every last desire because desire is noble. 
uh, and uh, they're able to bear it with this super awesome oven that Senku has co- has cooked up. And while they're waiting for the bread to bake, uh, Francois mentions to Ryusui, as your butler, I have every intention of reviving Nanami Corporation. And if your conglomeration is to dominate in this new world, that man, Senku Ishigami, I desire him. And Ryusui's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> He's pretty dope. Uh, and they make this awesome cake, which just blows everyone away. And uh, bread has been acquired. That's the end of the chapter. I like this chapter a lot. I like Francois is such a cool character to kind of come out of this. And it's it's weird because we're getting a metric crap ton of characters recently. Between a news mm-hmm. reporter and Ryusuke and now uh, Francois. Uh, but everybody like kind of fits in. We still get like a good mix of the different characters. I mean, there's still like Ukio and uh, I can't remember her name. The Nikki, uh, Nikki, uh, who are still like they come up relatively frequently. I mean, Ukio's in mm-hmm. most chapters, so it's it's interesting to see this many characters come out. But I just I liked uh, Francois's design. I just like the aesthetic, like the notion of like <laughs> Francois walked two fucking days. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stop! <laughs> Gen kept up with him. <laughs> I, I think that, I mean, the, it's stuff like this that as the cast is building and building and building up that reminds you that Inagaki is just really good at balancing a very wide cast. It's like, that, I, hey, what character would be good for this reaction? This one. Yeah. And uh, they've all got such distinct personalities from each other because they're all so such weird, bigger than life personalities and so bizarre in different ways. Uh, I think that it's important to have characters like Ukio and Yuzuriha so that there are, you know, normal people included in all these weirdos. So, yeah. All right. Uh, for really fun chapter. Let's uh, move on to uh, Seven Daily Sins. So, as a heads up, I don't know if Crunchyroll messed up or if this actually is the end of the chapter, but this chapter has no ending, per se. It just, they're just fighting, and then, and, then like the a, chapter yeah. ends. <laughs> it's in the middle of like one of those Dragon Ball, like, punchy, like, fucking back and forth things. But anyway, we're going to just try to give it uh, Imagine chapter. if like, yeah, the narration for the end of the chapter came and instead of that, you know, like someone standing at the top of a smoking heap. So, but is this really the end of the battle? Find out next time. Instead, it's just like, how will this clash end? Is this... <laughs> yeah, you're like, next time, Dragon Ball Z. Like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, so chapter. this is chapter 298, Male versus Zeldris. Uh, so last time, Male showed up. He's got the uh, the the Sun Seraph or whatever they call it, uh, and he's like, "Cool, I'm gonna fight you, brother." And Ludershell's like, "Ah, thank God you're alive." And he's like, "Yeah, you shouldn't have come." And he's like, "Well, I feel partly responsible for the start of the Holy War, and I'm but I'm certainly not here to fight." He says, "If you turn a blind eye to our stopping Melodius's transformation into the Demon Lord and promise to withdraw your Demon Army from Britannia, I promise not to interfere with you." And, uh, yeah, it's not going to work. Uh, nope. The first demon's like, get out of here! So <laughs> he charges at him. And Mail throws the sunshine and causes, like, a small but humongous explosion. Like, basically, it's tough to, like, get the scale size because the first demon is massive. And this fucking, like, fireball is dwarfing him in comparison. So it's pretty crazy. But they're like, wow, it's really strong. And he's like... Oh, so I guess that's your answer to all of this. 
Uh, so he tries to tell just like basically, all right, so I guess that you must realize that even the strongest attack can't work against me. He's like, yep, I did. So he's like, okay, so I'm just going to try to kill your friends. So he does his big slash uh, and it's blocked by Ludashell, but the attack basically gains life itself and kind of starts turning into these like tendril monsters that start going after everybody before they get hit. Uh, Diana and King and Gowther and uh, Elizabeth, everybody shows up and they protect them. And uh, Elizabeth's like, how much longer, Merlin, until your time freeze magic goes in? Like, Five minutes. So it's very significant. Uh, Zeldris activates his ominous nebula thing, so it's sucking everybody in. Uh, Mail's like, no, and he melts the sword. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, wait, what well, happened? Zel- Zeldris like goes, ah! and yeah. like is going to carve him apart. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> can't do that. And they explain that the explosive power of sunshine doesn't only cover the surface of the body. It's coursy within as well. So basically his, you know, nebulous power, his nebula power isn't really going to work. And Mail states it quite bluntly. He's like, if I can keep you down for just five minutes, I win. And if you could beat me within the next five minutes, you win. So that's the fight that's happening. They start punching each other. Chapter ends. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> well, we're done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's not more context than that, unfortunately. Uh, like, the chapter literally ends with male punching Zeldris. And like, like, not in like a full-page panel, like, what a big move kind of way. It's just in the middle of, like, a martial arts exchange. Yeah. I mean, Crunchyroll has been known to screw up some weird stuff uh, every now and then, so it could just very well be some sort of an issue on their side of this. So. It, could be, it could just be that is how the chapter ends. It wouldn't be unthinkable for that to be yeah. the case. I just, it, it seems unlikely. We have some weird chapters this week because we had a lot of chapters that were just very action-heavy, fighting is happening, and then we just had some chapters that was like, and now a fight's gonna happen, and that's just basically it, and this is one of them. It's like they started fighting. Okay, that's it. And we're going to have to wait until next week to get probably uh, for things to actually ramp up and uh, become really intense. So, but yeah, um, let's move on ahead to the promised Neverland chapter 121. Isn't this great? And that's basically how that sums it up pretty properly, which is, you know, last time everyone was kind of, you know, reacting uh, facially to Norman's ideas. We're just going to kill all the demons in order to, you know, build a home here. And Emma seems like she's going to say something to this because she's like, uh, and then everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> kill them, kill them, kill them. We're making wise decisions today. <laughs> And it was like, wow, this is amazing. And it, the more that people talk, the more that Emma's just like, yeah, okay. All right, yeah, I guess I can see this. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, like, not just, like, the really little kids, but also people like, you know, Nigel and uh, fucking the, the other ones. I don't fucking <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, Giselle, the others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got all the important ones. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget Anna. Yeah. Um, well, Anna wasn't apparently there. I got her confused with some other blonde girl whose face looks like hers anyway. But she Nick, off- she's such a distinct character. How could you forget her? Yeah, how could I forget her? She, I mean, she's, she would always do something unique, different from all these other characters. Every, yeah. every scene is a very iconic scene of her. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the kids are bringing up to Emma's like, this is great. We can be, you know, make a world where children won't be food. Uh, Dawn is happy. Guild is happy. 
uh, Ray brings up, he's not as enthusiastic as everyone's like, I mean, if we had a strategy to get rid of the demons, yeah, I mean, like, we wouldn't have to worry about the problems and the obstacles that would get in the way of us going for the seven walls plan. So that could be ideal. And Emma's kind of shocked by how everyone is going through with all this. Uh, Gilda says that she's actually happy to hear this because now Emma's not going to have to carry this huge burden in doing this. Um, and I was like, yeah, isn't this great, Emma? You don't have to be, you don't have to, you know, worry about this. And, and uh, you know, now we can do this and just, you know, kill a bunch of demons. <laughs> it's just pretty easy now. And we get right down to it. So the more that she hears this, the more that she's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But you can tell that like Ray thinks that like she's putting on a bit of a show by the way that he looks at her. So yeah. Uh, Norman's like, all right, with that settled and with not having to discuss this any further ever again, <laughs> uh, he descends down the steps and leads everyone into the main facility and a, a whole bunch of people are reacting like, oh, my God, it's Mr. Minerva. He's coming down from his office. Uh, and Norman's like, yeah, yeah, you're, normally I'm, you know, just cooped up in my in my room. So it is kind of a shock, I guess, for these people to see me. But you see these people into a big house with a whole bunch of clean beds and everyone's super happy to have, you know, a nice place to stay. There's like proper plumbing and a kitchen and stuff. Um, there's a bit of awkwardness from some of the younger kids because they're like, what are we supposed to, you know, like call you? Because everyone around here is calling you, you know, boss and Mr. Minerva and stuff. And what, what, what should we do? And. Norman does have this really sweet moment where he where he says, I mean, I guess if we're around other people, they might be more comfortable if you called me boss. But that's because, you know, to them, I'm boss and to Hyatt and the others, I'm William Minerva. But guys, I'm Norman. You know, you don't have to call me anything different. I'm still the same guy. Uh, and they. I do love the moment that, you know, as soon as like Hayato leads a bunch of kids, including Anna in, he sees his great leader being bombarded with children who <laughs> sees like a statue collapsing under their weight. Um, and uh, there's a bit of a freak out from there. And uh, Dawn observes like you're still pretty physically weak uh, despite being taller now. So hmm. everyone has a big meal together. Um Big celebration happens and everyone's happy uh, and Emma feels a lot better as a result uh, because they get to she gets to spend time together with her family. And uh, eventually um, it's just down to, you know, the main three, uh, Emma, Norman and Ray, uh, as the night is rolling around. And uh, he, she looks at him and says, you know, I'm glad because you haven't really changed. You know, you're still you and you're alive and you're next to me. Anyway, let's play chess. All right. Later. <laughs> I I have a score to settle with you assholes. <laughs> You're gonna get all one hundred thousand of my losses back, and uh, eventually, like uh, Giselle and someone else, maybe Gilda. I don't know. They poke their heads into the room and see that the three friends had passed out together, leaning against each other. So, well, what a sweet moment. I, I guess it's kind of significant for us to get this chapter here. After last chapter to have this because there's there, you you're meant to kind of have mixed feelings as you read this chapter where you're like it's really sweet to see them together but you know that there's definitely something coming it's not overly kind of stated in this chapter which i guess could be to a detriment to some people because maybe you're like it's weird that emma was super like weird about it and then she's kind of like super happy the rest of the chapter but 
you know, no, it's not honestly like she is, she's hiding her true feelings because this is a thing that, you know, yeah, she wants to believe in this and the assurances of her family are making her lose sight of what she knows is the truth. And keep in mind, guys, these are still kids like Emma's 15 or, or 14, possibly. So even though they're, you know, book smart, they still have a lot of immaturity to them. So, yeah. So I, I dig it. You know, I, I do think that it's, it's it's a pretty cool sort of moment to have that knowing full well that, you know, there's some bad shit coming right up on the horizon. Basically. And how bad and how bad would it feel too if like uh they reunite with Norman after so long and there are no good times yeah. between so, you know. It's like I see you now, Norman, and now we are enemies. Like it's, it's an unfortunate thing if that's the case, yeah. Mm. Alright, so let's talk about Black Clover, page one ninety one, Storming the Shadow Palace. So that big group of characters have Storm the Shadow Palace. Yes. And uh, in, like, maybe one of my favorite shonen tropes of all time, as they enter the big demon group, they're like, we're being separated from one another. Oh, no. Uh, and Asta, like, lands. He's like, ah, that hurt. And then Mimosa lands boob first into his face. It- my boobs are about three times as large as they normally are drawn in this one panel. This may be the most gratuitous fan service in Black Clover to this point. And note, there is a character who walks around in her underwear all the time. This felt egregious at this point. Uh, but yeah, uh, her boobs crust Asta, and uh, she's like, I'll have to heal you. So like, okay, yeah, we all got separated, but we're inside this thing. So, you know, the, we're going to try to do this and they see that it's ah, fuck, what's the name of this design it's well i mean it reminds me of like the oh fuck, i don't know i forget the name of this thing anyway they're in that thing that uh it was a digimon frontier too <laughs> so that's the necessary context everyone needs is it the sephiroth i thought there was another name for it so they're inside the sephiroth they're basically each orb is its own room and there's this powerful elf presence in all of them. And at the very top is where the most powerful presence seems to be. So presumably that's where Patry is. So they're like, all right, well, we're going to have to, you know, meet up there by going through the different containers. We'll meet up at the end, basically. So they're like, well, what are we going to have to do now? Let's let's we'll just have to beat our first foe on my own. Just me and Mimosa. And who should it be? <gasps> but real Nick. Uh-huh. Well, it's not real. It's Lyra in Rill's body. And uh, Lyra is like, yeah, this body took a little uh, getting used to and picture magic's fun, but fuck, I'm much cooler than him. <laughs> and I make all sorts of shit that he didn't ever make. Uh, and he's like, ah, we'll draw a whole new world on a pure white canvas once we've erased you humans from it. And there's a whole bunch of different effects going on. It's like, whoa. And it's like, I guess this won't be easy, huh? And I'm like, I feel like it could be because you you encounter everything your sword hits. But hey, who knows? We might make a fight out of this yet. Uh, Noelle laments the fact that she's alone. She's like, why is that? This is stupid bullshit. Uh, but then Fauna, but not Fauna. I forget what her like actual name was. The elf that took over Fauna is like, I'll play with you. So they're going to fight. And then Veto, 
which is the other guy whose name I was trying to remember a couple weeks ago. It's like, ah, you're an opponent, and it's Mary Leona, and yay, very exciting. And then they save the last matchup for the one I guess you would be most stunned is happening. You're like, holy shit, I can't wait to see the result of this fight between Fuego Leon and the elf who took over the new purple Orcas captain who we don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that that happened, so... uh <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's just such an interesting, like, you have three matchups. with Asta versus real. <laughs> like, three established, like, every fight, everyone in it is an established character. And then at the end, it's like, Fuigleon versus the new purple orca cat. <laughs> just like, ooh. Pair of the extras, you know, goes it. Chris, come on. Yeah, I guess so. It's it's just tropes. That's That's a chapter. You know what? I do like this chapter, though, because it is the kind of simplistic, trope-tastic, shonen battle manga stuff that I, I can't help but love. There's a part of me to my core that always loves the heroes invade a big villain group and have to separate, and they all end up in different rooms where one-on-one -on -one fights have to occur. It's it's such a convoluted way to get, like, one-on-one -on -one individual fights, but it's it's, you know, when it's done effectively, I'm still like, fuck yeah, this is cool, so... I mean, I don't, I can't say there's any of these fights that I'm particularly looking forward to, but I guess just the execution was still pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, like this chapter is like fine on its own, but it's really just a setup chapter. Uh, and I'm sure that if you, you know, are into these characters then you're probably really anticipating the fights that are going to unfold. And I don't really have anything against it. It's just like kind of there. It's like some fights are going to happen. That's the point of the chapter. All right. Let's move on to chapter 931 of One Piece, Soba Mask. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so last time, uh, when confronted with page one, Sanji concluded that he needed to do something to prevent people from finding out who he was. Uh, so he took out the uh, Derma gear. And uh, in this chapter, he explains himself and says that, you know what? You know, sometimes it's important to just put aside your pride uh for the sake of actually getting an advantage you know it's it, it's kind of pointless for me to deny using it and hey just because i'm using this device does not mean that i'm a germ i'm just gonna you know it, test it out for now and uh we get his transformation sequence which frankie completely freaks out when he sees big dork that he is mm -hmm. and uh he looks awesome he's got this very ninja get up uh his hair is kind of swooped upward uh, and turns out Law is an otaku, Chris. <laughs> this fucking nerd. <laughs> um, Law's like, I recognize that. It's the number three member of the Army of Evil, Germa 66, Stealth Black. And like, why the fuck do you know? Like, well, they were the villains in this comic strip that I read. <laughs> like, he knows all this stuff about all the characters. Like, come on, dude. So um, Sanji decides that he needs to introduce himself by a pseudonym. So he refers to himself as Soba Mask. <laughs> and uh, and the, all the freaking his allies in the peanut gallery are like, that's an awful name. Choose a different one, please. <laughs> Let us pick your name. <laughs> Which is so, a shame. Sanji's usually so good at coming up with his, uh, his cover nicknames. Yeah. 
We're getting a cut of internet hiccup from Nick, guys. There was a bit of a hiccup there. Yes. Can you hear me now? Yep. Now we can hear you. All right. So Sanji launches himself forward, uh, kicks uh, page one really hard in the gut. And uh, nobody could actually see where the where the attack went, because as soon as Sanji launches himself forward, he seems to vanish from view. And Frankie's like, oh, my God, he's moving so fast we can't see. And Law says, no, 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 you have to understand. In the in the, in the comic strip Sora, Warrior of the Sea, the enemy in the story was an evil army, German 66. And the German member named Stealth Black was particularly tough to fight because he could vanish. We see that in the follow through of his attack, Sanji is just, you know, standing on the ground. Uh, but he is hidden from view. He's invisible. And Law explains he would project the background over his body so that he couldn't be seen against it. And he stops like, why do you know all this? <laughs> You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> and Sanji realizes, wait a minute, I've just vanished from view. And he remembers researching the clear, clear fruit, which could turn you invisible and confronting fucking... <laughs> Absalom and being really upset with him that he had eaten the clear, clear fruit. And so he's like, the dream I thought was dead has come true with the power of I hated Germa's science. What twisted irony. But this power will indeed be useful for the women's back. I mean, helping my friends. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is amazing. (laughs) The dream he thought had died lives on, Chris. You know, it's actually somewhat of a touchy moment. I know that, like, Sanji uses the whole, like, I wanted the invisible fruit to see, like, to peek into women's bats. Um, and that's still what he kind of intends to do here. He very quickly is like, I could use it for women's bath. Oh, I mean, to save people <laughs> or, or, like, to fight, whatever. But it is, I don't know why. It's it's one of those things that Oda does very well where he takes a detail from Vlongo and kind of, like, pays it off later on. So the idea that Sanji gets this device from his family and he's like, I don't want to use it. I don't want to be like you guys. You know, it has this whole deal. And then he kind of gets this moment where he's like, I'm going to use it. And it ends up having very unintentionally. It's like his parents intentionally put it in. Oh, yeah. This way Sanji will be able to pee in the woman's bath, obviously. Yeah. But this idea that they did it and it ends up having this this effect on like, you know, it just it fulfills a childhood dream of his. It's like a very sweet thing like even though it, it you know again it doesn't make a ton of sense or it's not that it doesn't make a ton of sense uh it just it, it you know hits upon one of sanji's less admirable sort of traits <laughs> well just the fact that it's brought up this whole thing from like t- that we learned about him like 10 years ago and pays off on that it's, it's just a very satisfying moment yeah i i i dig it like i want to stress i really like it it's mm-hmm. it's it's not that it's necessarily like sweet it's just like a cool way to like live back up to that. So page one goes into his uh, halfway form. Uh, he looks way less cool now. Um, especially because he's got page one tattooed across his chest. It's like, were you like, just, you had to just like be standing very still in order to have them. So like, it's like they stamped it on this guy. Like, come on, dude. So, uh, they clash again, and uh, Sanji counters uh, the swipe that Page One uh, launches at him, but still gets the worst of it. Goes crashing into a building, um, and they're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> uh, but Sanji um, is basically fine. Uh, the braid suit protected him fully, and uh, so he's like, "All right, well, 
I, that I'm, I'm, I'm good now. You know, I, I basically have, I think it's, he's, uh, and so yeah, anyway, um, Usopp and Frankie in law run off because they have to, you know, leave him. Uh, but, uh, Sanji just uses his stealth ability to attack page one again, and, uh, they're good to go. He also mentions that, like, I'm going to have to get my two nerdy friends to change the design of this thing for me so I can actually use it properly. So I do like that's a little tease to the future as well, that mm-hmm. you know, Sanji's things could get updated. Yeah, he's not going to just look like a German 66 member. He's going to have his own specially designed suit for looking in the women's bath. I mean, helping his friends. Yeah. We cut over to Orochi's castle. Where Robin is uh, sneaking around uh, and she's like, maybe there is a hidden door somewhere where I can find the uh, there. There must be a Poneglyph stone somewhere and ninjas ambush her. <laughs> it's like a dozen of them have all caught her in the act. <laughs> she's like, when did they get here? I was like, I don't know. All nine of them. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, the captain of the ninja forces who has this gigantic goddamn forehead it says curiosity can be deadly geisha let's hear your excuse and you only get one and robin's like "Uh, (laughs) it's pretty easy honestly i had no idea where i was going i've never been here before is this not the bathroom i pooped in several of these file cabinets (laughs) you can't prove i didn't (laughs) And uh, lastly, we cut over to uh, where Chopper and Momonosuke and uh, Otama and the tall woman are. <laughs> I forget her name already. Uh, Okiku? I think that is it. Uh, how the so, fuck do I remember that? I don't know, man. You're the, you're the One Piece name guy. Yeah. I don't know how it is. They're basically just talking about random stuff. Uh, Otama says that she's worried about Luffy and everyone's like, nah, it'll be fine. Although Monobuske says like, I guess it is. We haven't heard from Raizo in a while. Uh, but then they happen to point out like, hey, there's someone over on the beach there. And oh, fuck. Big mom washed ashore. Uh, and Chopper's freaking out over this. Um, and he's like, we've got to get the fuck out of here. We've got to go. We've got to leave before she wakes up. She's she's just as dangerous as Kaido is. We've got to go. Um but before they can get away, a uh, big mom wakes up. She looks around and she goes, where am I? Who am I? Yeah, we're doing this. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I we'll see. like the amnesia thing is usually like a kind of eye roll twist to a story. And I think I'm kind of sitting here. I'm like, I really like, I feel like we, there's not really a necessity for another crazy element to get added into this this Wano fight. But who knows? Oda could still execute it really well, and it, it could be super satisfying. You know, we'll like, see. We'll find out. Yeah. All right. I'm going to finish, then, on our two chapters of World Trigger. <sighs> so. Feel refueled. I, 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 a lot happens, okay? <laughs> so it's chapter 174, Ozma Squad Part 2 to start off with. Uh, so Hughes uh, basically figures, goes like, all right, we've got to get three more points in order to get ranked second. Uh, 
let's go fuck that up basically is what happens to, to keep it very short there. But um, we see that uh, their method of trying to secure the final two points by taking out uh, Korai and Azuma is for them to very carefully go through the entire mall uh, using Escudo from from Hughes to cut off all escape paths and uh, slowly uh, shut them in. And Chica is watching the outside so they can't just drive their way out of the mall, too. Uh, and whenever Azuma Squad reacts, Yuma will be there in order to take them out. So Azuma checks in with his two attacker uh, squad mates and says, all right, guys, what do you think we should do next? And Okadera says we should, I mean, retreat. The only thing that we have, that's the only option that we have. We, we better just like cut our losses. And Azuma says, OK, what do you think? Korai? And Korai's like, I really, really don't want to. But I've lost a leg. It's just two of us. Kuga's sneaking around. I don't like my chances against him. So I think that we should retreat too. And uh, Ozma's like, okay, well then. Uh, he, and he tells their operator, uh, he told me, give me control of several of the beacons, especially the ones on the outside. And he uses this to make it appear as though their signals are gradually approaching Chica's location. And uh, so you, uh, Osamu immediately, I almost called him Yuiga. Osamu immediately gets worried by this. It's basically the same. Yeah. Osamu immediately gets worried by this because, like, what should I do? I mean, what if they're uh, actually approaching Chica's location? Well, maybe they're just using this to rattle us. Maybe I could have Chica destroy the dummies. Maybe I could. And then immediately Hughes just comes in and is like, they're just trying to trick us. It's just ignore it. Just keep doing what we're doing. And Osamu's like, I know, but he could be trying to do something. Maybe maybe he's trying to double bluff us, and it's a bluff to make us think it's not a bluff, but it's the bluff. bluff. And he was just like, look, just do do the plan. It's transparent. It's proof that we have them dead to rights. And someone's like, he's probably right, but what if they get Chica? All right, um... Um, uh, guys, fall back to Chica's position. You, you back her up. Do it. And and he was just like, no, I'm not doing that. That's no, that's sloppy. I am not going to do this. Look, you remember what happened before? Ozma can shoot down projectiles. The only reason that he didn't do that before when she attacked the building is because he was inside of it. He's free and clear. He could shoot down anything else that she shoots down. He's read you like a book and lured you into assuming the unlikeliest option. I am not going to follow illogical orders. And his son was like, I know he's probably right. But what should I do? I mean, Jin told me not to waver, you know, and what does not wavering mean in this? And so Yuma basically is just like, we're compromising. I'll go guard Chica. You keep doing what you're doing. Chica and Hughes can keep following the plan, but I'll protect her. And Hughes is like, all right, fine. Conversation's over. I'm going ahead. And uh, Yuma privately speaks with Osamu as they continue with this, uh, saying that, look, give him a chance here because he actually blames himself for the bad stuff that's happened thus far. The wet fact that Kagura got us got away from us before we could score the point. The fact the user took you down. He blames himself. He's hoping to take back a point or two. That's just how serious he is about all of this. 
And I'm growing to really appreciate the dynamic that Hughes has with the rest of the team where it's like their goals are very aligned and he wants to do the best for the team, which means being an asshole. (laughs) It's, you know, not betraying who he is at at the core, basically. He's not going to just get along with everyone. He's going to just like, no, I'm going to do what what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it to help you. So. And uh, Hughes pretty quickly finds Korai and spots that he's it's like his damage and he's having trouble getting away. So he starts to launch the meteors and all of a sudden from out of the shadows, Ozma appears. <gasps> Next chapter. <laughs> 175 Hughes part seven. Uh, a bagworm flutters from the corner and he's like, just as expected. And he launches a bunch of his meteor at it and he blows up a bagworm with nothing inside of it. And Asuma shoots him from the opposite direction and blows him the fuck up. <laughs> it's pretty rid- crazy, honestly, seeing him just like, well, he's been cut in half by this fucking sniper bullet. It's pretty crazy. Like, Asuma is like, there's there's a lot of characters who are treated like they are like crazy super badasses like Kagayora, Ko, basically like all the big name attackers and then you still have people like Ninomiya and like Nasu uh but Asuma maybe low-key like the most badass character in all of World Trigger because this yeah. dude always pulls out some awesome shit in everything he's in yeah shooting through the wall to take out Osamu in the last time they came across Tamakoma too this bit where he, you know, shows that uh, Hughes is not invincible and can be fooled. Um, Hughes is able to respond with a, with basically the remainder of his volley of meteor, but he only takes out Asma's leg. He can't get a point off of it and he's forced to bail out. So uh, it's down to a two on two. Uh, and they're like, OK, well, what do we do now? And so immediately Hughes is just like, have Chica blow everything up. <laughs> Burn it down. But there's a logic behind it, which is just like they both of the remainders have damaged legs. So there's no way that they can actually maneuver in order to intercept her shot. So just blow everything up. That's going to force them to retreat. And sure enough, she launches her meteor and blows up basically the rest of them all. And they bail out and retreat. And uh, as a result of that, it's just down to Tamakoma 2 remaining. And so they easily win the match. Uh, it's six to two to two to one uh, at the end of the day with Tamakoma having two survivors at the end of everything. Uh, and then we get words from the commentators, uh, Arashiyama and uh, Inukai. Uh, that was his name. I wrote things down so Good I'd be prepared. Yay. You didn't and Kiku. No, I didn't. No, she's, <laughs> that's why I'm she's here. barely in the chapter. <laughs> that's why I'm here. Can't yes. cut me out yet, Nick. Um, we do get a little bit of uh, some analysis, uh, basically saying like, OK, it seems as though, yeah, Ozma's rigged his, a lightning on the upper end on the upper floor with a bagworm hanging off of it. So then it fluttered, basically. Uh, and that drew Hughes's attention. And then while he was distracted by the by the bagworm, Ozma uh, shot at him. Um, yeah. And it, it's a clever thing because he's like, in order to get it to work, he put his sniper rifle down and then switched out to his other sniper rifle. So then the thing that the bagworm was hanging from disappeared and it fell and the movement drew his attention. It's like, oh, very clever. Uh, what it comes down to is that 
everyone did a good job, basically, except Kagayura. And uh, Inukai is like, it's actually really weird. Like, it's he's like, d- d- he didn't, he was not impressive. Like, Ko was really good. Uh, Suzunari had an in, had some interesting stuff, and they also had the strat the strategy with Taiji, although it kind of cut off uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Yuma was a really good support for uh, for Hughes during the match. Uh, it was something that was definitely kind of like underplayed in the moment. But of course, like if you were watching the battle unfold, it's like, yeah, he was kind of all over the place, really help, helping set him up. Um, and then, yeah, finally, Inukai just says like, you know, Kagi was not doing so good. He's usually way more in control with that can't touch me attitude. But this time he felt really cautious and passive. And then when he scrambled away at the end, it didn't feel like him. And, Everyone in Kagira squad's like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, to which um, Zoe says, well, I guess he's more stressed out than usual because your participation in the away mission is riding on this Yuzuru. And Yuzuru is like, oh, so he's acting this way for my sake. Oh. And Kagira's like, we're going to fucking win, basically. Because uh, things have definitely gone in Tamakuma's favor, but they haven't taken a lead over Kagiura yet. They're actually slightly behind because even though their scores are tied, Kagiura was ranked higher at the beginning of the rank wars. And so they're still got the tiebreaker. And finally, we get Hughes explaining to Osamu that the reason why he didn't use Hound before is because he was basically growing increasingly sure that they weren't going to be able to take a commanding lead in this match, which meant that things would be very decided, very much decided in the final round. So he needed to hold on to some of his uh, best moves. And that's basically it. Uh, and Osama realizes like he really is serious about actually, you know, doing this properly. He still kind of was a dick to you, though, dude. <laughs> like <laughs> Kind of a super asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's it. That's the end of the rank war. And we finally ca- and last week we catch up with uh, Nina Mia squad being a couple of douchebags while hanging around with uh, Kohei. And that's basically it. It's very, very heavily implying that Nina Mia squad is going to be the last hurdle for Tamakoma 2 to overcome in order to get onto this uh, uh, way mission. Yeah. I, what do you think is the, the last matchup that Tamakoma had those? Uh I feel as the I mean, it's going to be Ninomiya squad. Mm-hmm. It might honestly be Kagayura again in there. Um, given the way things leave off with the conversation between Yuzuru and uh, Kagayura in this one. Um, I could see it being definitely Ninomiya. That's kind of what they're setting up. and That would be very appropriate. I feel like a coma squad's going to be in there because they've been kind of raising up too and i feel like akoma looked like such a goober in the last one that they did they like they constantly like had him saying like usually i'm better than this like i didn't get to do my super cool move and stuff like that so i feel like it would be a chance to like put them in there too and maybe kagayura has its side because there's there's definitely something interesting going on where all three of these teams want to be in there only two can get in there but they're no they don't necessarily have to be in the same match and the idea is they try to mix up who play like fights each other so that that way they don't get the same matches over and over and there's more like variation so i feel like it would be fitting for it to be like the next highest ranked team they weren't just involved in the match with would be like a coma squad right 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 
Okay. We'll see. I like the chapters. Uh, it's like a, I'm surprised actually how well the match went for Osamu because there was mm-hmm. such like a buildup of like why do I have such an uneasy feeling about this and I'm like maybe we'll find out what that is down the line, but it didn't really feel like anything went that poorly for them. Like it didn't go perfectly. I mean, no, but but like they no. didn't get every. I guess they didn't get everything that they wanted out of it. Like if things had gone perfectly, then they would have a commanding lead and they would be basically all set to cruise into the away mission. Mm-hmm. But you know, like Osama got taken out. Uh, he wavered at the end and uh hughes got taken out partially because of that but i don't know i I think there's there's a level two because like nobody actually really shits on osamu for losing this time like no that's like a fucking like end of rank wars like conversation like let's talk about osamu didn't get shit done uh but he really needs to improve himself and he's not going to hold back his teammates i mean well this time he basically you know just like while he was in the match he properly helped them out he was in the right position at the right times so yeah so i it's very well that maybe we're waiting for like whatever that feeling is going to manifest as being something else down the line uh, but it was strange to me that like watching it and having that that foreshadow happening being like nothing really bad happened for them like they won mm-hmm. a commanding lead in this match like it could have yeah. been more but I mean, they got a fucking huge jump up in the rankings because of it. Mm-hmm. And they jumped up, uh, what, three spots, I think? Uh, Maybe even, it might have just been one spot, actually, because they got like six. So. It very well could be, uh, but I think they went up like at least one. Um, okay. But yeah, like they gained, like there was like a net gain of four points for them over everybody else in the match. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, that's gonna do it for weekly manga recap this week, guys. So uh, we're going to uh, name our favorites, uh, favorite series and MVP. Chris. So my favorite series this week, I'm gonna give to Neolation. I think this was a really cool chapter. Uh, I like the way it's setting up some pretty cool stuff going forward. Like we have this villain group. We have all this new direction. It feels like this was a chapter that really went to firmly establish what Neolation is going to be like in the future. So I really dug it and super enjoyable chapter. Totally in agreement. Uh, It took me off guard. The fact that we're just getting this villainous group uh, introduced, but I'm really digging it. And I love just how immediately super evil they are. We're not going to let the police catch you. (laughs) (laughs) I promise the police will never find you. Well, most of you, they'll find part of your DNA. (laughs) Uh, For my MVP, I'm going to give it to Francois. And Dr. Stone uh, made an immediately good first impression. And uh, honestly, just like a lot of the gags that, that were associated with them. Uh, and I got feel like we got a really strong feel for uh, who they are as a character. So, so that was your series and MVP? Neolation is my favorite series. Okay. Uh, Francois from Dr. Stone is my MVP. All right, I'm mimicking that as well. Francois was my uh, MVP as well. I love the uh, design. I love the character. It's very mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Nick's got good opinions every so often. <laughs> <laughs> by the way the audience pick on it was world trigger was the chapter of the week and sanji won mvp mm. so bravo I, I i totally get it too uh, sanji was definitely a contender and uh i mean people are gonna like world trigger no matter what it is well i mean it was good 
chapters of World Trigger. It was. Time, I'm just so. saying, it's it's inevitable. People are gonna love World Trigger. It's that kind of series. It's great. Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it, everyone, for weekly manga recap. We want to thank you guys for joining us here on Twitch.tv/Reality and Smashcast.tv/Reality, where we stream the show live on Mondays at around 7:30 Eastern Time. If you want to check out our past episodes, you can look us up on YouTube, on iTunes, and you can also go to weeklymagarecap.podbean.com. But sometimes we need to change things up for, you know, where we stream and post and all that stuff. So be sure to follow us on social media. At WMR Podcast is the podcast's Twitter account. And you can also follow your hosts at Realty and at Nick F. Time. If you have any questions for us to ask for uh, questions for us to ask questions for us to answer on our Q and A episodes, if you have a suggestion for us to read in the future, if you just want to send us general feedback, you can send that stuff via email to weeklymagarecap at yahoo.com. And also, of course, check out our Discord server where there is an entire chat specifically set up for keeping track of all of the recommendations and for making new ones. Yep. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows great, fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And uh, to all the people who uh, do special stuff for our show, like Steve Manor, Tire Cars, Infamous Planet, who is just, you know, a general, like, support and, you know, gopher. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew X3i, who's uh, put a lot of effort into making very helpful, uh, they, they do the keep track of the votes that people have made for MVP and uh, Series of the Week and all that stuff and for tracking the stuff that we list throughout the year. Uh, it's very helpful for us to keep track of uh, that kind of stuff, and we appreciate it. Yeah, and if, if you're somebody, if you really like Weekly Manga Recap, it's a great way to kind of have a bit more involvement with the show, uh, because not only are you able to like put you know put your vote in for the audience MVP and uh, character or chapter of the week, you're also able to like put in your suggestions for what you think should be in the year-end kind of superlative awards, and yeah. I think there's a value in doing that as chapters come out that hit you. Rather than doing it at the end of the year and trying to remember mm-hmm. which moments kind of stood out. So Absolutely. I, I think there's a big value there and it's a lot of cool stuff. And then you can just talk fucking manga and cool shit. Yeah. Got a lot of different uh, conversations going on in that uh, server. All right. And that's going to do it, guys, for a weekly manga recap. We will see you all next week. Yes. Unless we don't. Unless we don't. And in which case. Life is crazy and random. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, we could all... Chaos is a ladder, as one Lord Baelish once said, Nick. And uh, I don't really know where I'm going with that. I just wanted to throw a Game of Thrones reference in there. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone! <laughs>